Amen. So, taking a little bit of a turn from Genesis uh, this morning, uh, but I pray that this actually is a sermon that is a good precursor to what we're going to hear next week. Uh, Brother Dale read the text that we're going to be starting in next week, so I think that's going to be good for us all to hear. I love Genesis 3 for a specific reason. Because it's the first time we see Jesus Christ mentioned in Scripture. And it's awesome that he is the one to crush the serpent's head. Amen? So this morning, uh, I want us all to turn to 1 John 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. Let me start you with a uh, wonderful quote from R.C. Sproul. He says, To be spiritually dead is to be worldly. It is to buy into and follow slavishly the values and customs of the secular culture. Not only do the spiritually dead follow the course of this world, they follow the prince of the power of the air. So here, Sproul makes a clear distinction, right? The one who's been brought to life by Christ is, they cannot live according to the course of this world the way things are set up. And we cannot love the world anymore if we're in Christ. And John, is in his text, is actually trying to hammer home that essential point, that it's essential for the church not to love the world or buy into its systems and ways of doing things. And John is admonishing them. He's also drawing a line of distinction in the text as well. Those who love the world are not able to love the Father and do as he wants either. So, let's get into the text and let's hear what John says. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. 1 John 2, 15-17 Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that it is infallible and inerrant. It stands the test of time. And when we need a voice to speak to something in our lives and in our hearts, your, your word is the best voice that we can hear, for it is you speaking to us. Let us always run to your word for the answers that we need. God, just bless this sermon, that it may touch the hearers, that it may prick our own hearts and and convict us to move closer to you and see Christ more clearly and love you more dearly. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, in order to go forward, let's define terms, okay? We don't want to just start into not loving the world, and not understand what we're talking about here, because uh, passerby off the street may think, well, that's not nice. They don't like none of us, right? Well, that's not what we're talking about here. Let's talk about the world in this context. It is not the people who are living on earth, okay? We're called by Christ to love people. 
We know that, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's part of who we are. We love those who are in sin and not in Christ by telling them the truth and sharing the hope of the gospel with them. We love our fellow Christians as Christ has loved the, ch- the church, like we discussed in uh, teaching on brotherly love several months ago when I preached. Right? We, we love the church. So we can eliminate feelings for people from this discussion. That's not what John is talking about here. The world here is something that's very specific that he's talking about. John Stott, I think, does a great job defining kind of what we need to look at. And he says that the world here has to be viewed as some system, some evil system that the world has created. Now, the prince of this world, as it is described, is Satan. Now, he's not the ruler or the prince of the planet. He's not the king of all. Christ is king. Christ is seated on the throne, right? He is the prince of world systems. That is what the world is here. World systems. And I think the the word love here also needs to be clearly understood. When linked to the world, love is not the love that we have for the world and the desire to see them redeemed by Christ. That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's not a Christian's love for our neighbor. Uh, the love that's talked about here is a selfish love of participation in. When we love a world system, we're saying, I'm going to love this and participate in it because I like it. So, it's a love and desire of the world system the things that the world has to offer. So, in light of these definitions, I think we can then accurately state a theme for these verses right do not selfishly love and participate in world systems and seek after the things that this world has to offer do not selfishly love and participate in world systems and seek after the things this world has to offer now let's break down these verses let's start with verse 15 it says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him Now, let's keep in context the definitions that we've already come up with, right? The world here is the systems in the world. Now, there, in in the modern world, people live and die by world systems. People are separated from each other because of systems that are put in place, right? That's what the systems are really for, to create distinctions and create classes and, and ideas and thoughts and all these other things. Unfortunately, Many who go to church and call themselves Christians do that same thing. They create that distinction, that separation. So what are some of the systems? Well, patriotism, liberalism, progressivism, activism, capitalism, communism, fascism, socialism. Most of the isms are going to be a world system. Democrat, Republican, libertarian, social justice, individualistic justice. All of these things are systems that the world created. Now, do we leave our Christian values behind when we go to the voting booth? Do we leave our Christian values behind when we support a candidate or 
or we have a discussion on a specific topic, when certain things are brought in that our kids are hearing and it's time for us to make a stand, do we, do we leave behind our Christian values? No, we stand. We stand. But I don't stand because I'm Republican. I stand because I'm Christ's. I'm Christian, right? Christ gave the true answer to these systems when he preached something very specific. See, Christ, his, what Christ preached, um, the people who argue against Christianity will say, well, you don't know what the gospel is. You don't know what Christ preached. You don't know this, that, or the other. Well, I beg to differ because the Bible tells us what Christ preached, right? Am I right? Mark 1 14 through 15 says exactly what Jesus did. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And it didn't stop there. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because he was bringing it into existence. Repent and believe the gospel. So what is he saying there? He's preaching his kingdom, that he is Lord. That repentance is necessary to come to him. That belief in the gospel and understanding that we need, a, we need a savior. That's all what it's about. Those are the answers to the world systems. That's the answers to the world, what the world needs, what's going to fix things. Jesus, in a conversation with Pilate, said something very important about his kingdom. John 18, 36, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Our citizenship is not of this world. The gospel is the only true answer to the problems in this world. Who we elect as our president, not the answer. I wish we could elect Trump and he could come fix everything. Or I wish we could elect another somebody else and they could just come fix everything. But guess what? It's not going to happen because there's only one Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And he took care of it 2,000 years ago. And we need the gospel. This country needs the gospel. People who know me know I'm pretty political. So I'm preaching to myself this morning. Is that good? Is that okay? Because I need to hear this. I get frustrated. And I know you do too. But what's the answer? Jesus Christ is the answer. The gospel of Jesus Christ to this world is the answer. When nothing else stands, when you go to the grocery store and you don't have enough, Jesus Christ stands. He is Lord. So we stand up for things that we believe in. We don't buy into the lies that we're told by these world systems. We don't submit ourselves to them. We submit ourselves to Christ. We believe in Christ. We follow Christ. And we repent and we trust in Him. Now, things of this world Things in the world are all around us. We cannot love the things in the world. Seeking after possessions, 
trying to gain more things that we can hold with our hands. Not the answer. This is what's led to a, a, the trend that we see in American families. Seeking after more, more money, more stuff, instead of desiring to lead our families to Christ. It's a problem in this country. It's a problem in every country. Our kids don't need more stuff. Our kids need Jesus. Provide for them. Give them what they need. The, the thing that they need the most is Jesus Christ. That's what they need the most. That's what's going to stand. It leads us sometimes to choose work and other things over church, over family, over solid, godly relationships. And it's all about a desire for things. And truly, we can lose our souls in the search for more things. He tells us clearly in Mark 8, 36, doesn't he? He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? If loving the things of this, in loving the things of this world, we, we never seek after those things that edify us in Christ, right? It, it's all about the next thing. Christ addressed it in Matthew 6. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What an essential concept he's teaching us. We need to invest our hearts, our sweat, our blood, our earthly treasure in seeking after heavenly treasure. The things that echo throughout eternity are not cool things. The things that echo throughout eternity are the things that will matter most. It's, and it's not more stuff. Now, is having good things that are working and awesome a bad thing? Mm -mm. But if that's all of my desire, if that's all of my heart, guess what? I've, I've made the wrong idol. I'm, I'm worshiping the wrong thing. I love it when I see... Um, Brother Nick, get an awesome new truck. I love it because God, because it's not, because I know he's not going to, he's, he's not seeking after that. He's seeking after Christ and God is adding those things to him, right? Isn't that the right, isn't that the right order? Seek him first. He'll add things to you. But the most important thing is the seeking him, taking our family to him, pushing our loved ones to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what things can we do in our lives that will echo through eternity, that will matter for all eternity? Shepherding our families. Loving our families. Bringing them to church. Reading scripture to them at home. Praying with them. Desiring for them to know Jesus more. Husbands leading wives. Husbands and wives leading children. That's what matters. That's shepherding our families, actively investing in your church, becoming a part of Sunday school and, and all those things that will help you to grow in your life and help your children to grow and help each other to grow. Those are the things that will last forever. Sharing the gospel with someone that may have never heard it properly. They may have heard a, a false gospel of 
Well, if you just pray this prayer after me, everything will be good from now on. No, they need to hear the real gospel. Time spent in heavenly pursuits, the time you spend daily in the word of God, echoes for eternity. It's not about better cars, more toys, cooler possessions. All of those things will fade. I think about Bubby's little thing he's had. Goodness, I don't know when he got it, but it's this little fire engine looking thing that he can sit on and push with his feet. It sits outside, and it is dirty. He still plays with it, but the color's fading. It's getting dirt all over it. That, that steering wheel is going to break off soon. I, can, I have a feeling. You know how plastic gets outside. It's fading away. It's not going to last forever. But when he comes to church and he hears about Jesus, when he at our, home, at our table, um, when it's time to eat, when he says, God our Father, God our Father, and sings his little song, this stuff echoes through eternity, right? It matters. It makes a difference in lives. And I want my son, when he faces something, he's not going to think about, well, I had a really cool toy when I was this, this old. He's going to think about, you know, I heard this at church. Maybe this will help me. Or I heard this from my mom and dad. They prayed with me about this when I was little. Or they read this scripture to me, and it makes sense here. That's what echoes through eternity. I love the saying that the old folks say, you can't take it with you when you go, right? What's the only thing we can take with us? Those we love. Bring them to Christ. Give them the gospel. So we can't love these worldly systems or these possessions and these things of the world. And, and all of this boils down to one thing if we're honest about it. When we look at a worldly system or the things of this world, Exodus 20 Three through six, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the, in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Immersing ourselves in a system and loving it so much that we can't let go of it, it's, our, it's, it's what defines us, that's idolatry. Seeking possessions more than we seek Christ, that's idolatry. That's what it boils down to. We're making little idols. <clears throat> John Calvin said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. He also said, the mind begets or births an idol and the hand gives it birth. We're constantly putting our minds on other things, and elevating them to ungodly levels. And then we begin to put our hands to pursuing those things. In doing so, we joined Abram's father in his trade of making idols. And we can do that in so many ways. I do that in so many ways. I make my political views the essence of who I am. I make uh, the social constraints that the world has the essence of who I am or my anti-them, anti-constraints, <laughs> the definition of who I am. Cultural cares become massive idols, wanting to fit into the culture. 
my desire for more and more and more money, more and more things, more possessions, it can become a graven image in my life. We're to watch those things in our hearts. We're, we're to keep our hearts set upon Christ. And the problem that we see in Christianity is that it's made worse when the pulpit and the church begins to build itself by magnifying idols instead. This is in the progressive church. We see it when they chase after the social issues, when they wear their different kind of sashes and they, instead of talking about the authority of God's word, they talk about how God's word is wrong on this one thing because they like it. It's their social issue they've held on to. It's seen in fundamentalists and Pentecostal churches at times when uh, American patriotism and values are elevated to the level of doctrine and scripture. That's dangerous, guys. Dangerous. We don't, we don't, we don't preach. We're being a Republican, we preach Christ. We pray that when we preach Christ, it alters our values and our vote. Well, you can see it especially in the Word of Faith movement that focuses on gaining material possessions as proof of our faith in Christ. See, if, if we were in one of those types of churches because Brother Nick got a brand new truck, he would be getting up testifying about how God gave him that truck because of how much faith he has. No, God gave him that truck because he's a hard-working dude who deserved that truck, and he got it. That's what happened. Nothing to do with his faith. His faith is good. We need faith in Christ, not in possessions. All of that is idolatry. And it's something that the church should repent for, if we're honest, right? And I fall into it. I need to repent for this. Lord, forgive us. The love of the world and the things in it and help us to turn to Christ as our treasure. Help us to desire the lives that echo through eternity. Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Notice that, that, that sentence. It says, For all that is in the world. What kind of world do we see described to us, right? A self-sufficient world. People who want to be uh, a crazy word called autonomous means I'm in charge. It's me. I decide, right? That type of world is running contrary to the Creator. And John's about to show us what's in the world, the traits that are present in those who love the world. And especially for those outside of Christ, unfortunately, those traits are, are more prevalent and being brought to the forefront <laughs> within the church. Unfortunately, I thank God that we're not in that type of church. That we don't have to deal with that. Goodness, what a terrible way to be that if I don't have more stuff, I don't have enough faith. Goodness gracious. I would say that the love of the world and the things in it breeds these particular traits in our lives. The desires of the flesh. The cravings and lusts of the sinful man, the sin nature that rules within us, right? Right? Man is born in sin. Sinful things are what he's bent toward. 
love of the world makes those things our great desire. We go toward these things. We go away from God when we're not in Him, right? That's why it's so important that we don't love the world because we need to kill sin. We need to pursue holiness in our lives. We need to have the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us within, right? We need to desire those things. The next is the desires of the eyes. Now that's very visual, right? Tangible. When we're in love of the world, we, we lust after what we can see, what we can grab, what we can get a hold of. We forget the important things, the things that echo through eternity are generally not things we can just put our visual eyes on, right, or grab. Love for the world blinds us to anything except what I want right now. It's idolatry. We love those temporal things. God, however, is our hope. We place our trust, belief, and love in something that we've never seen. That's antithetical to the idea that we desire after the things we can touch and hold, right? To look to something that we can't lay our eyes on physically. And that, and that, and that, that faith is placed in the one true God of all the universe. Lastly, he describes the pride of life. That's vanity, self-love. And that's arrogance, it's pride, and it is sin. When we love the world, what do we boast in? My world stuff, right? <clears> 2 <throat> Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For if people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, can't satisfy them, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So we go from sinful gratification from outside things to sin that is focused where? On me. And when we have that self-focus, it's pride. It's arrogance. It's sin. What we have, what we do, what we think, what we believe to be the truth, how we identify self-love. Who are we elevating to the level of God? Not the God of the universe. We're elevating ourselves in those points. We know John's been speaking to believers. He's also been speaking to false teachers and counterfeit Christians. And in the next phrase, he makes a distinction about these traits that we need to take notice of, and he's clear about where the traits come from. Not from the Father, but it's from the world. See, we need to seek things that are from the Father, like Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, right? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Fairly simple. Verse 17 says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world's passing away with its desires. Christ is victorious. One day, the world and all of these things are going to be gone. 
for those not in Christ, the gratification for their system and their possessions are going to be gone. And their fate is eternal punishment. One day, and this is a day I'm looking forward to, the world is going to hold absolutely no sway over us anymore. And what is the promise for us? Whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's the will of God? Romans 8, 28 through 30 says it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And listen to this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the golden chain. That's God's will. What's God's will? The redemption of those whom he has been given by the Father. Jesus Christ will redeem us. Wholly, completely, our salvation will be complete. When we repent and trust in him, we will abide in him forever. That is assurance. This world is not our home. How many of y'all remember that old song? This world's not my home, just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Not sure I like the next line. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. Not liking that one as much, but I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Right? My mama used to sing that. She was a Southern Gospel singer. That's why the gospel is so important. Because we need to be delivered from this world, not love it. We need to be delivered from it, not just love how, how it works. Now let's apply our understanding of this text to the gospel as we understand it. Because God created this world. He determines what we should and shouldn't do, right? He made the rules. Man falls, why? Brother Dale read it this morning. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice the three things that we talked about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's present there, isn't it? The lust of the flesh. You shall be like God. That sounds good, right? That's something that we would, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man. Buying into a world system that says, hey, if you do this, you're, you're on the right track. You're the, you're the guy, right? You're the girl. The lust of the, of the flesh said to them, you shall be like God. What did the lust of the eyes say? They saw, she saw the tree was good for food. Man, I got to get a hold of that because that 
is going to taste so good. The lust of her eyes led her towards that. But what about the pride of life? That the fruit was desired to make one wise. Conceit, arrogance, and pride. That's all that is. A self-love, a, se a desire to uplift herself into knowledge and wisdom. So present at the fall of man are the same traps that we can fall into today. That the world itself is, is loving and falling into today. Why? Because it's all sin. It's all about sin. Sin is the issue. Why do we sin? Brian Chappelle put it very clearly. Because we love him. When you weren't in Christ, I bet you were a pretty good sinner. And do you know why you were so good at it? Because you loved it. That's why. God gave us laws and we can't keep them. So now we need help, right? I'm in despair. I can't keep this. I can't do this on my own. I can't live in this world and see these things that look so appealing to me and resist them on my own. I need help with this. Before the foundation of the world, God not only planned your redemption, He became the very one to do it. People talk about the atonement being cosmic child abuse and how it's so much nicer when you can attain things by how you act, right? Well, guess what? Their God didn't die to save them. Ours did. Jesus, of his own free will, came and died on the cross to save us. He lived a sinless life. He died as our perfect replacement, our propitiation, and rose again. Completed his work. And now he is the mediator that we have before God. And his kingdom is not of this world. We must repent and trust in him and not trust in the world. Now we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, sanctifying us. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we can kill sin in our lives. We can, we, can, we can kill our love of the world. Idols can be crushed through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same idols that we're prone to create. And I think Spurgeon's warning to a Christian is a good way to end here. Our joy ends where the love of the world begins. If we reverse that, we would know that when we stop loving the world and we seek after Christ more than anything, joy is the byproduct. Christ is our joy, and he is our exceeding treasure. Don't love the world. Don't seek after the things of this world. Seek after Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Amen?